Biologic is Biological Medicine's Digital Roundtable, brought to you by the doctors at Biologic Center for Optimum Health. Join us as we discuss the intrinsic logic of the body, as well as practical steps you can take to see and feel a real difference in your own. Good morning, and thank you for coming today. My name is Dr. Sam Jamison, and today I'm going to be talking to you about fasting. This presentation is for educational purposes only. Please visit our website for full disclaimer at biologiccenter.com. So in speaking about fasting, first of all, we'll cover what is fasting, how has fasting been, been viewed uh, historically, what do you need to know about fasting, what are some of the benefits of fasting, what are some of the concerns in doing fasting, and then we'll wrap up with some final thoughts. So first of all, fasting is the abstinence from food and or drink for health, ritualistic, religious, or ethical purposes. The abstention may be complete, partial, lengthy, or of short duration, or intermittent. Fasting has been promoted and practiced from antiquity to present worldwide by physicians, by the founders, and followers of many religions. Historically, Hippocrates, who is widely considered to be the father of modern medicine, championed the practice of fasting and the consumption of apple cider vinegar. Plutarch, who was a famous philosopher, also echoed these sentiments, and he wrote, instead of using medicine, better fast today. Ancient Greek thinkers Plato and Aristotle were also staunch supporters of fasting. Christ, Buddha, and Muhammad all shared a belief in the healing power of fasting. So, what do you need to know about fasting? Well, first of all, when it comes to diet, you can fast on any diet. It doesn't matter if you are a low-fat person or a low-carb diet or a vegan or a vegetarian or a carnivore diet. You can fast, okay? Because the difference is that instead of adding in certain things, all we're doing is taking something away. So I do recommend uh, that you depending on how this applies to your particular diet, but try to eat whole unprocessed foods, avoid sugars and refined grains, and eat as many healthy fats as possible. And when you are thinking about fasting, balance your feasting and fasting so that you are getting proper nutrition. Uh, a ketogenic diet refers to ketones. Ketones are produced by the body when we are burning fat instead of glucose. And so a ketogenic diet can be very beneficial for fasting because you're already used to being in a low carb state. Hunger is probably the number one concern of most people uh, in thinking about fasting. Believe it or not, hunger is largely a symptom of a conditioned response. We grew up, well, if you're like me, I grew up eating breakfast at 7 a.m., lunch at noon, and supper at 6. And so we're automatically hungry at those points because it's a conditioned response. Because our bodies and our minds are used to eating at those times, we create what is called a cephalic response, which basically means that we start salivating, we start releasing pancreatic fluids and insulin, all in preparation of eating, even though we not, may not necessarily be truly hungry. We also tend to associate eating 
with certain things like uh, maybe watching the, if you're a football fan, watching the NFL on Sunday or uh, when you go to a movie, maybe you always get a bag of popcorn and a candy, but we have these other conditioned responses as well that are not necessarily true hunger, but we feel hungry because that's what we're used to. Some ways to help break those hunger cycles. First of all, only eat at the kitchen table. Don't eat anything that is not a true meal. Avoid all artificial sweeteners. Those artificial sweeteners will create a cephalic response. They'll create the salivation and the pancreatic fluids and the insulin response, but there's no satisfaction from them. There's no satisfying that uh, cephalic response. Um, another thing that you can do uh, is try to avoid situations where there are food. If you're fasting and, and you're trying to avoid uh, being hungry, uh, try to avoid food altogether. Um, sometimes a pinch of salt, sea salt, uh, Himalayan salt, uh, can help to uh, satisfy that hunger. If you can stay busy, um, work through lunch, uh, staying busy keeps you distracted and so you're less likely to get hungry. Um, and I will tell you that from experience, hunger tends to come in waves, believe it or not. And so um, if you hit one of those waves, like I'm, I'm used to eating at noon and I get hungry, if I can drink some water or tea, uh, some kind of non-caloric beverage, coffee, black coffee is probably one of my favorite things. Um, you can tend to ride out those, those waves of hunger and, you know, in 30 minutes or 45, you won't be hungry anymore, believe it or not. Um, and so if you can ride out those hunger waves, uh, it makes fasting easier. Most people do report uh, that the second day of fasting is the worst as far as hunger. Um, personally for me, I have found that day three seems to be the worst day for me for whatever reason, but the, most people do um, report the second day as being the worst. Intermittent fasting. Uh, intermittent just simply means that there is a period of fasting followed by a period of normal eating. Um, I would say probably most of the people that I've talked to that do intermittent fasting will do like an 18 hour fast and then they'll have six hours where they may have one or two meals. Uh, but you can do, obviously most of us fast uh, the 12 hours while we're asleep or, you know, from supper time till we wake up in the morning for breakfast and when we break our fast. There isn't any uh, certain way that you have to do it. Uh, one thing that I've learned in the study I've done is that different fasts work better for different people. Some people do better on an intermittent fasting schedule. Some people do better on a longer term schedule. Um, the nice thing about the shorter fasts is that they, they fit better into our work and our family schedules, and we can do them more often. Uh, longer fasts tend to give quicker and better results, uh, but in general, you wouldn't do those as often. Time of day. Um, so part of fasting, uh, particularly if you're not doing a long-term fast, is what time should you eat? Um, and what we know is that uh, the later we get in the day, research shows, the later we get in the day, the more of an insulin response we get. And so the more we're gonna take those calories and push them and store them as fat. And on the flip side of that, ghrelin, 
which is our hunger hormone, is highest at 8 p.m. So you're probably least hungry at 8 a.m. or at breakfast time. You're most hungry at supper time or at, you know, late, I guess it wouldn't be supper time, late, I guess it depends when you eat supper. But anyway, at 8 p.m. is when ghrelin is highest. And so that's when you're the most hungry. And that's also when you're gonna get the highest insulin response. You're gonna store the most calories from any glucose uh, that is created in the body. So the long and short of that is what is the optimal time uh, to eat or to break your fast? Uh, sometime between noon and 3 p.m. is what they recommend as being the optimal time in balancing out hunger versus um, storing the glucose. Longer fasts, uh, the 24-hour fast usually includes one meal a day. The benefit of this is for people in particular who are on medications or supplements that need to be taken with food, then they have a meal where they can take those uh, medications or supplements. It's also less of a strain on your family because you can skip breakfast and lunch during the day at work or at school, and then you can have supper with your family at night. Uh, there's less of a concern of nutrient deficiency with a 24-hour fast. In general, you could do a 24-hour fast every day. Uh, research does show that most people do well with two to three 24-hour fasts in a week. Uh, the next fast I've got up there is a 5-2, uh, which is not a traditional fast because you're eating normally five days a week and then uh, the two fasting days, you're either getting 500 calories if you're female or 600 calories if you're male. However, there is enough of a calorie restriction that you do get a lot of the beneficial hormonal adaptations that we see with fasting in doing the 5-2 diet. The five or 600 calories uh, can be done in one meal or you can or spread it out through the day. You can take those two days that you're fasting, quote unquote, and you can do them together or you can separate them out however you want uh, in relationship to the 5-2 diet. The alternate day, is just the same as the 5-2, except for it's a little more aggressive because you're doing that five or 600 calorie day every other day. In a research study uh, using alternate day fasting for 30 days, there was an average of 12.6 pounds of weight loss and no loss of lean body mass. Keto fast is basically uh, the alternate day fast except for there's more rules. Um, so first of all, they ask that you not have any calories within three hours of bedtime, that you condense your eating window to six to eight hours for one month. You figure your uh, calorie intake based on 3.5 times your lean body mass. And for most people, this should come out somewhere between 300 and 600 calories. You then take half of what uh, you would normally eat in protein, add in, they suggest less than 20 grams of carbs, preferably 10. And so find that number in calories, subtract it from your number between 300 and 600, and that uh, they ask that you fill the rest of those calories with healthy fats. So things like avocados or coconut oil or something like that. A 36-hour fast, uh, if you're interested in doing a 36-hour fast, you would start after supper on day one, have nothing but non-caloric drinks on day two, 
and then have breakfast on day three. And then for a 42 hour fast, instead of eating breakfast on day three, you would wait and have a late lunch uh, to get the 42 hours. Extended fasting is anything over 42 hours. The longest fast on record was done in the 1970s by a 27 year old Scottish man. He started out at 456 pounds and he fasted for 382 days. During those 382 days, he had nothing but non-caloric drinks, a multivitamin, and a few other supplements. He was monitored by a physician during the entire fast and then suffered no significant negative effects. At the three, end of the 382 days, he weighed 180 pounds. And probably the most impressive thing is that they went back and checked back in with him five years later, and he had only gained 16 pounds. At the five years post fast, he weighed 196 pounds. So in starting to think about longer fasts, um, seven day, 14 day, um, anything over two days, obviously, like I said, is, is a long fast. You need to start thinking about how you're going to break the fast. And so, what they recommend is that you use a snack or a small dish and that when you are ready to break the fast, you eat that and then you wait 30 minutes to an hour and then have your regular meal. That way your hunger will pass um, and you're not, as, not quite so hungry um, when you go to break the fast. Shorter fasts, uh, 24 hours and less, don't really require any special precautions. However, longer fasts, uh, it is a good idea to plan ahead. Uh, when you do break the fast, take the time to chew your food thoroughly. This will help stimulate the digestive system and help bring that back online because it may not be, uh, it may be a little sluggish depending on how long it's been since you have eaten anything. Make sure that you're drinking plenty of water, stay hydrated to help with overeating. Benefits of fasting. First of all, uh, improves mental clarity and concentration, uh, induces loss of body fat, lowers blood sugar levels, improves insulin sensitivity, improves fat burning, and helps with the gut microbiome. So in a study of mental acuity and fasting, none of the factors measured, including sustained attention, attentional focus, simple reaction time, and immediate memory were found to be impaired. Another study, of two days of caloric deprivation, found no detrimental effect on cognitive performance, activity, sleep, or mood. In a study of aging rats where intermittent fasting regimens were used, they actually improved their motor coordination, cognition, learning, and memory. And there was also an increase in brain connectivity and new neuron growth from stem cells. Brain-derived neurotropic factor, or BDNF, is a protein that supports the growth of neurons and is important for long-term memory. In animals, fasting significantly increased the beneficial BDNF effects in several parts of the brain. Human studies on caloric reduction found similar neurologic benefits with a 30% reduction in calories memory significantly improved, and the synaptic and electrical activity in the brain increased. Fasting induces fat loss by controlling insulin. 
Obviously, anytime we eat, we produce glucose to some degree. When we produce glucose, insulin is produced to help push the glucose either into our cells or into the fat cells for storage. So if you are not eating, you're not adding glucose to the blood, so there is no insulin production. Your body will burn through the glucose that is available, and then it will start using the glycogen that is available in the liver. Once that glycogen stores have begun to get used up, your body will slowly switch over from using blood sugar to using fat. Researchers at the University of Alabama did a study of intermittent fasting that showed that the group that did intermittent fasting had lower blood sugar and increased insulin sensitivity. And in relationship to the microbiome, early studies suggest that if we extend that overnight fast beyond 12 hours, it may actually restore microbe diversity in the gut, increase tolerance to bad gut microbes, and restore integrity of the gut epithelium. So basically help heal uh, that inflammation or leaky gut. Probably the most exciting thing or interesting thing to me in relationship to fasting is autophagy. Autophagy is a form of cellular cleansing. It is a regulated, orderly process of breaking down and recycling cellular components when there is no longer enough energy to sustain them. Once the diseased and broken cellular parts have been cleansed, the body can start to build new tissues and cells to replace those that have been destroyed. So autophagy is controlled by what is called the mTOR pathway. And basically the way it works is if there is any kind of energy available, so even it says three grams of the amino acid leucine will stimulate the mTOR pathway. The mTOR pathway will shut down autophagy because if there's energy available, then there's no need to break down the old subcellular machinery. But one of the first things uh, that I read about when I began looking at fasting was there is a <coughs> Ivy League researcher who recommends, he's a cancer researcher, and recommends a seven-day water fast as one of the better ways to try to prevent cancer. And that is because of this autophagy going down and breaking down these old cellular components and white blood cells that are no longer functioning efficiently. Uh, it can help uh, support our immune system. The only way to do that really is through fasting because even a low calorie diet, any, like I said, any amount of energy coming in is gonna stimulate that mTOR pathway and shut down autophagy. Uh, autophagy also uh, has been shown to break down uh, the amyloid beta protein in the brain that can accumulate and destroy synaptic connections in the memory and cognition areas of the brain. So it might help prevent Alzheimer's. Studies have shown that 70 days of alternate day fasting can reduce LDLs by 25% and triglycerides by 30%. Fasting helps to maintain uh, HDL numbers, whereas low-fat diets tend to lower both HDLs and LDLs, and so fasting is better than doing a low-fat diet in that respect as well. Fasting has been shown to reduce several markers related to inflammation, including leukotriene B4, tumor necrosis factor, interleukin-6, and other inflammatory cytokines. What are the concerns? Um, beyond hunger, uh, 
there is something called starvation mode that we've been told about. And so the idea being with starvation mode that because of lower calories, our basal metabolic rate slows down. And what has been found with uh, fasting in a study of participants that fasted, fasted every other day for 22 days, there was no measurable change in basal metabolic rate. And in another study where they fasted for four days continuously, there was actually a 12% increase in basal metabolic rate. There does not seem to be any starvation mode or any slowing in basal metabolic rate in relationship to fasting. Next is this idea of burning muscle. If you're not eating, then your body's gonna start breaking down muscle. This is a fallacy. The body will not start breaking down muscle unless your total percent body fat gets below 4%. And so obviously if you're a really low percent body fat, then that can be a concern. But for most of us, I know it's not a concern for me, but the body is not going to break down muscle uh, unless you get below 4% body fat. Uh, in the 70 alternate day fasting study that I referenced earlier, uh, there was a decrease in body weight of 6%, uh, fat mass decreased 11.4%, and there was no decrease in lean body mass. Low blood sugar uh, is another concern. Uh, people are afraid that their blood sugar is going to drop too low. Blood sugar will be maintained by glycogen first, and then once the glycogen stores start running out, our liver can actually produce or excuse me, glucose from glycerol, which is a byproduct of fat breakdown. So as we break down the fat, it's used for energy. We're left with the glycerol. The liver can take the glycerol and produce glucose to support the body. During fasting, 75% of the brain's energy requirements are met by ketones. I think I skipped over earlier when I was talking about the ketogenic diet that actually there's two other things uh, that can be supported by ketones that are not able to burn fat, and that is the renal medulla of the kidney and the red blood cells can also run on ketones. Overeating, uh, that you're gonna fast and then you're going to overeat uh, when you break the fast. There is some research to show uh, that that is true in that um, on the day of the fast, when the fast is broken, it's typical to eat about an extra 500 calories. So. To just have simple math, if you eat 2,500 calories a day and you did a one-day fast, the next day you eat 3,000 calories instead of 2,500, you're still 2,000 calories less than you would be typically in those two days. In my experience, I did eat more uh, than I would typically uh, when I broke my fast. Uh, however, usually I only eat that one meal and then I fast for another 24 hours and I don't really notice any significant hunger. Dizziness and headaches. Um, dizziness and headaches are usually caused by dehydration. So make sure that you are drinking plenty of water. If you're concerned that you're not getting enough minerals, you can put some salt in your water or drink mineral water, uh, or you can also do bone broth. If you're fasting for more than a day or two, you may wanna add a multivitamin and or mineral to supplement your fast. Um, refeeding syndrome. Refeeding syndrome is extremely rare and usually occurs in people who have been starved. Refeeding syndrome due to fasting is very uncommon. 
Uh, to avoid refeeding syndrome, do not extend, do not do an extended fast on water only. Drink homemade bone broth and make sure that you continue to do your normal activities. Uh, part of the reason that a lot of them get refeeding syndrome is because they were kept in a small area where they were not able to do um, weight-bearing exercise. Final thoughts. If after this lecture you are considering doing fasting, I do recommend uh, that you make sure you drink plenty of water and non other non-caloric liquids. Uh, both coffee and tea can help stave off calories. Stay as busy as you can. The more idle you are, the more likely you are to think about how hungry you are. Ride the waves. Hunger does come and go. Um, and if you can ride out the wave, uh, then you will find that it's easier. If you can distract yourself, uh, drink some water or coffee, maybe have a pinch of salt, the hunger will pass. Don't tell people that you're fasting. Most people will not understand and they will try and talk you out of doing it. If you don't feel good when you break your fast, and this is probably the number one rule, if you're feeling sick, go ahead and eat. It's one thing to feel hungry, but if you're not feeling well, go ahead and eat. And you can always start your fast again the next day. I did uh, read The Complete Guide to Fasting as part of my research for this lecture. I do like this book a lot. Um, it's got a lot of common sense in it, and uh, I found it very beneficial. Thank you all for coming and listening, and I will answer any questions that you have about fasting. So a question about um, how to fast when you've been given the, the supplements that you need with, with meals and so forth. What do you suggest if something is three times a day and you want to do two meals? Just double up on the two times with the meal and you know, add, add it then, or what are your thoughts? Yes, I would. So um, if you're doing two meals, I would try to divide it out evenly in between the two meals. Yeah. Um, if you're doing one meal, we may need to take a look at the dosage and maybe even lower it, um, or we may need to uh, increase your number of meals for a time period. Yeah. Other questions? Yes. Is there any issue with, um, I think you said no, but like kind of shifting the schedule? So I think you said you're most, mostly hungry until about 8 o'clock at night. And so, so what did it shift it like? So ghrelin is highest at 8 o'clock at night, and so the hormone, yeah, that causes hunger is highest at 8 o'clock. So if you wanted to shift from like starting at 12 and eating until 8, and you do like start at 10 until 6, that's essentially the same, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. How do you feel about juicing? Mm -hmm. Like to replace like meals? Or well, do you think it's that, um, the sugar? The insulin thing? My concern would be the amount of sugar in the juice, yeah, depending on how much fruit you're putting in. What about wheatgrass incorporating that sometime into the fasting? I will be honest with you, I don't know how much, how many calories are in wheatgrass, so I would have a difficult, I yeah, I don't have a good answer for you, I apologize. Any other questions? All right, thank you guys, I appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you.
To access more information and resources from this episode and previous Biologic podcasts, or to learn how Biologic Center for Optimum Health's all-inclusive treatment program helps those with chronic illness, visit our website at biologicscenter.com.